Praise God. Let's turn to James in chapter 4 this morning. Believe God to help us. Tremendous service last night. Hallelujah. Great spirit in this place. Amen. Excellent thing that God's doing here. Amen. James in chapter 4. I was reading about a, a man in Canada who was a pacifist, and he was fearing another world war, and he decided to sell his home and move to a quiet part of the planet where peace was guaranteed, which he did. He sold his home, he began to study uh, what he felt were the safest places on earth, the most remote with the least chance of war. And in March of 1982, he moved to the Falkland Islands. <laughs> Five days before the Argentines invaded this quiet island, marking the start of the Falklands War. Now, being a pacifist is a great idea, perhaps, but it's not realistic. Especially in a world where evil exists. And the lesson of history and the lesson of the kingdom of God is not found in fleeing conflict. And this is especially true in the spiritual realm. Jesus highlighted this principle when he said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And so I want to look at this concept. And I want to talk about our posture as believers and as uh, church builders and church planters and world conquerors. And I want to I visit the idea of the safest place to serve God. Out of James chapter 4, let's read verse 6 and 7 together. But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil... And he will flee from you. The safest place to serve God. I want to look first of all at dispelling an appealing myth. Now I've heard it said by well-meaning believers and even well-meaning preachers. Statements like, if you want the devil to leave you alone, just stop trying to reach the world for Jesus. How many of you ever heard that? If you want the devil to leave you alone, just stop trying to reach the world for Jesus. And I want to say that while it's true that you will often draw fire from the enemy when you move forward, I'm here to tell you that it is also true that nowhere in the Bible does it tell you that if you back off, the devil will leave you alone. That is patently false. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brother that are in the world. The devil is the enemy of God. And therefore, he's the enemy of mankind. And I'm here to tell you the devil hates you with a consuming hatred. 
His goal is to destroy you, and there is nothing you can do to change that. And the Bible does not teach that if you leave him alone, he'll leave you alone. The Bible does not teach that if you back off and stop trying to reach the world for Jesus, that he's going to strike a peace treaty with you. The opposite's true. If you're passive, it just makes it easier for him to kill you. Because that's the way enemies are. We know this to be true of sinners. Sinners aren't threatening the devil. And he's not leaving them alone. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And 2 Timothy says, who are taken captive by him at his will. So here are sinners. They are not fighting the devil. They're not winning souls. They are actually cooperating with the devil. And he does not leave them alone. The Bible says he blinds them. And he binds them. And he makes them his slave. And then he kills them and destroys them. You know, I'm, I, I would say the devil is content for those that are lost to not be aware of him. But you can be sure that the devil is busy destroying and damning the souls of those who are not saved. And we also know that just because a, a person gets saved, the devil is not ready to strike a bargain with you. He's not ready once he realizes you're going to serve God and you're going to go on with this. He is not ready to come to the peace table and say, listen, okay, all right, you want to go to heaven, that's great. You want to serve God, you're not going to backslide, fine. Let's make a deal. You leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. On the contrary, the Bible says that he is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. I learned something about lions when I was in Kenya. We went to uh, a game park. And uh, as we were on this game drive, we came up on this drama that I, I will never forget this. There was a standoff between a mother giraffe who had just given birth to a, a, a baby giraffe, as it were, and a lion who was wanting the baby. It was, it was one of the most intense things I've ever seen. Here's this mother giraffe. She has just dropped this, this, her calf. This giraffe, this baby giraffe was probably six feet tall if it could stand up, but it wasn't even strong enough to stand up yet. It was just, just a lump of baby giraffe in the grass. Here's the mother giraffe standing over her, her, her baby, protecting it, and here is a lion, and the, and, the, and the prize was in the middle. We pulled up on this. I'm immediately enthralled. My wife and daughters were like ashen face shocked. And I'm looking at this going, wow, check this out. And so the mother giraffe would move forward a step, and the lion would back up. And then the lion would move forward a step, and the mother would back off. And the, uh, the guide was telling us that lions are opportunists. A mother giraffe can kill a lion. They have a wicked kick. 
And the guide was saying that lions always go for the weak. They always go for the passive. They always go for the wounded. And this lion probably followed this mother giraffe for days or weeks, waiting for her to give birth so he could attack the hors d'oeuvre. That's lions. They're always looking for the stragglers. They're always looking for the weak. And if you're passive, I want to tell you the devil isn't going to go, oh, there's a passive believer. There's a religious believer. Let's just leave them alone because they're not threatening me. No, no, my friend. He gets excited about people like that. And he's not about to strike a deal with you. And as we were uh, watching this drama... And all of a sudden, all these other vans pulled up. You know, you could see the difference between the men and the women in every van. <laughs> the women in the vans were like, you know, totally pale, averting their face. And all the men were with cameras like going, shut up, man. I want to get this. <laughs> and just when we, you know, and I, you know, I, 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 I was kind of rooting for mom to win. You want the underdog to win. And just when it seemed like mom was going to win, two other lions came out of the bush chased mom off a country mile and these lions pounced on this thing like a a rag doll that's life that's the word picture that peter wanted us to have the reason this is important because if you buy into this myth human nature being what it is it's easy to say okay that's fine, I'll just mind my own business. There is, a, there is a, a large segment of people, even in our churches, that would, would say, oh, is that true? If you just stop trying to reach the world for Jesus, then the devil will leave you alone. Well, then fine. I think I'm just going to back off, mind my own business, not get involved and the devil will go on to other people that are threatening him and leave me alone. That means I won't witness. I won't get involved and my life will be better. I'm here to tell you, friend, that is not true. I want you to know what the Bible teaches is the opposite. As one man said, if you don't fight the devil, you'll end up working for him. Those are your two choices. If you don't fight the devil, you'll end up working for him. Which means if you don't totally backslide and become an enemy of the church and a rebel, you might just become a lukewarm religious pain in the rear end that drags the whole vision of the church down, which militates against the purposes of God And sometimes the greatest hindrances to the vision and the war effort is not those that are outside, polarized. It's those that are on the inside that have bought into the myth of detente with their enemy that somehow I'm just going to ride this out. I'm just going to do my time. I'm going to make heaven, but I'm not going to make any waves. If you don't fight the devil, you'll end up working for the devil. And he'll try to lure you into disobedience or sin and opposition to what God is doing and you will become hostile to the purposes of God. And I want to tell you 
The Bible teaches when it comes to the enemy of your soul, it is either fight or die. And I must say, that's what I appreciate about our president. There may be a lot of things that W may not be doing that I want him to do, but one thing that I do appreciate about our president is that he's taking the fight to the terrorists. Because liberals don't understand terrorists. We're just making them mad. No, they're already mad. They've been mad for centuries, okay? You're just creating more of them. No, no, that's not true. They've been training their children for decades to hate you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. You can do all the sensitivity sessions you want. You can wear a turban. It's not going to change a thing. It is either fight or die. That's where we're at in history. And David understood this. He said, my soul has long dwelt with him that hates peace. I am for peace, but they are for war. And it's great to be for peace. But when you have an enemy that has sworn to kill you, you're going to have to put aside the myth. I want to look secondly at the reality of life. Because the Bible only gives one formula for being safe from the devil. And that is the word in our text, resist. That word is not a defensive word. It does not mean that when the devil's tempting you, you're holding on, you know, like, you know, the hurricane of affliction is coming and you have grasped the sides of life and said, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give in. I'm resisting. That's not what that word means. The word in the Greek is antistemi. It means to actively oppose. The word resist there is not a defensive word. It means to attack. It means that you are going to actively oppose what he is doing. The same word is used in the story of Moses going before Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And the Bible says... That Moses cast his rod down and it became a serpent. And the magicians, it says, they resisted Moses. Now what, what the, the picture there was not that Moses threw his rod down and became a serpent. And they said, we're not going to give in to that. We're not going to give in. No, what they did is they said, that's a really good trick, uh, Moses. And they took two rods and cast them down and became two serpents. That's what it means to resist. I'll see your serpent and raise you a serpent. That's what it means. They opposed him. They said, that's great, great trick, Moses. How about two of them? And we know that Moses' rod and serpent swallowed up theirs, thank God. But what I'm saying is these, these magicians, they knew what it meant to oppose, and we need to do the same thing to the devil. That means when he throws down, we need to give him twice back right in his face. It means you cannot back up. You're not just holding on. You are going to respond double. You're going to up the ante. You're going to increase the bet. Uh, and you're going to say, devil, if you're going to mess with me, if you're going to mess with my family, if you're going to mess with my church, I'm going to give you double what I would have been. I'm coming back at you. 
And that is the only way to respond to the enemy of your soul. In the 1970s, the United States and Communist Russia entered into an agreement called detente. It's a French word. Figures. <laughs> it means peaceful coexistence in the lexicon of language, but in reality what it meant was the United States would let down their guard and disarm and stop building weapons, and Russia would keep up their guard, make more bombs, and get ready to attack us. That's what it meant. Because there is no peaceful coexistence with communism. Thank God for Uncle Ronnie. Hallelujah. President Ronald Reagan. You don't know him as Uncle Ronnie. You need to love him a little more than you do. Came in the 80s. He began to rebuild the, the military strength of the United States. Came up with an idea called the Strategic Defense Initiative, which absolutely sent the liberals and the socialists off the edge, apoplectic. Anything that upsets the left, you ought to just pay attention to. Because that means it's a very good idea. And what happened is he kept up in the ante until communist Russia imploded on itself. I was sent a bumper sticker from a soldier that was in Iraq. And I had it on my bulletin board for a long time. It was a picture of a peace symbol made out of bombs. <laughs> and the slogan was, Peace Through Superior Weaponry. <laughs> now that may sound trite to you, but that is a philosophy of life. You must understand, life being what it is, you must understand peace comes through dominion. That is the only way to have peace in a world where there is evil. There is no peaceful coexistence with criminals and thugs, and there is no peaceful coexistence or detente with the devil. So you might as well just settle it. It's either you or him. One of you is going down, and it is a personal issue. Especially if you're pastoring. It, is, it begins to get very personal between you and the spirit of that city, between you and the regional demon, the strong man of that area. This is going to be a personal issue. And the minute you let your guard down, he is going to beat your brains out. But the good news is that the Bible promises that if you will fight, you will win. Resist and he will flee. In other words, there is a dominion and there is a strength when you fight the devil. So what does that mean? Peace and safety through conflict. The safest place to serve God is with your sword drawn on the advance. That is where you're going to get dominion in life because I believe in dominion. I believe in enlarging the parameters of strength. 
This, the green zone, they call it. The safety zone. If you're going to have an environment of safety and peace, it's going to be because you have pushed the parameters of your defense far enough away from your tent or your home or your congregation. And what happens when you land in a city and you're pioneering? You, we talk about establishing a beachhead. Sometimes that has to be established in your living room. And then you begin to push the parameters, the green zone, the safety zone, until that congregation and those who are converted begin to get the vision and help you in, uh, in spiritual warfare. And, and the safest place to serve God is right in the middle of the conflict. Resist the devil. That means when the devil messes with you, you're going to have to do something you otherwise would not have done. See, if the devil knows if he slaps you, you're going to back off, then, then you might as well just line up. But if he knows that you've got this weird bent in your spirit that says, okay, you messed with my finances, that you shouldn't have done that. Because now I'm going to do something I would not have otherwise done. I'm going to double my pledge. Are you listening to me? There's going to have to be something that, that you communicate to the devil that says you would be better just you know, trying the strategy of lulling me to sleep because when you provoke me, it just makes me worse. I'm just, I'm going to pray twice as hard. Oh, okay, you want to mess with me? I think I'm going to fast this week instead of just having a prayer meeting. That's what it's talking about. Because the Bible says if you resist him, he'll flee from you. I remember getting a call from a pioneer pastor back east, and uh, he was freaking out. He said, man, somebody broke into my... uh, building and stole all our equipment he was all discouraged and who wouldn't be and he says man i'm just i'm just wondering what to do and i said i know what you ought to do man you ought to do something you would not have otherwise done i said brother out of principle you need to attack the devil and i got him all wound up man you know i just i just said you know what you ought to do man he didn't have a lot of people he said you ought to call everybody in your church and say you know what we're going we're gonna to attack hell. We're, are you with me? We got it ripped off of the church and we need to do something. I said, I, you know, call a prayer meeting, man. Fast. And then go out and street preach and just, and just do something. Respond to this, man. He's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hung up, you know, and I just, I, I was just kind of cackling to myself, you know. About a day or so later, he calls me back. He says, you are not going to believe what happened. And I'm trying to remember the exact sequence, but he called a prayer meeting and a street meeting. I'm not sure which he did first. I think he did the street meeting first and then came back to the building and was praying. He said, right in the middle of our prayer meeting, somebody came rushing into the building going, stop, stop, I can't handle it anymore. He says, I know who stole your equipment. Led them to the house, got it all back, and called the police. Amen. See, God honors this. There's something about an aggressive spirit. And if you will factor this into your faith and your theology, 
that when the devil attacks, that is not time to pull back and regroup. It's time to draw your sword with a battle cry and say, let me at him. Amen. And out of principle, do something. I remember in Las Vegas, I, my first church, I'd only been there a couple weeks. It was Wednesday. I'm at home trying to put a sermon together. I get a call. Pastor, the church is underwater. It used to rain half an inch in Vegas and the whole city would flood. And our church was like in the way. And so we had water in our sanctuary, man. And I'm like ticked. And so there was another pastor in North Las Vegas. He said, why don't you just cancel your service and come up here? I go, no, 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 no. No, I've got to do something out of principle here. So this is not going down like this, man. And there wasn't a lot of people in the church. I called everybody. I said, church at my house. I got me a movie, got some chairs, quick printed some flyers. I said, we're just going to do an outreach or something. We all met at my house, went around the apartment complex, knocked on doors, movie over here at apartment such and such. We had 60 visitors and 11 people got saved. And that experience marked what became our main strategy for the three and a half years that I was in Las Vegas, movies at apartment complexes, and we saw hundreds of people saved. So you've got to develop an approach to this that says that if you move against me, I will move against you twice as hard. That's exactly what the Bible says. And God will honor that. If you want the devil to leave you alone, attack him. Because the Bible says that's the only way to get him to flee. I'm going to close then with bigger guns. General MacArthur was asked, what is the key to victory in war? He said, the key to victory in war is high morale among the troops. They said, what is the key to high morale among the troops? He said, superior firepower. If you want your soldiers to be happy, you give them bigger guns. If you need to know where to get them, ask Pastor Drought. (laughs) In the kingdom of God, we have superior firepower. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. If that's going to be your experience, you're going to have to learn to use your weapons. I read a fascinating book, and I I believe it was about Vietnam. And, you know, we we, uh, preach and read and talk a lot about spiritual warfare. But I have never been in the military. I've never been in a firefight in a real battlefield. And I remember reading this thinking, you know, my goodness, We have a lot to learn about warfare. And as I was reading this book about the realities of a firefight, 
that when soldiers actually get into a situation where bullets are flying and mortars are going off and mines are exploding, that there are dynamics that kick in that have to be addressed. And one of the things that they discovered in warfare is the capacity for soldiers to freeze up and not fire their weapon. Now, you and I, we can't even fathom that. But apparently, one of the things that happens in a firefight, that there's so much adrenaline, there's so much chaos going on, that some of these men that are good men, they're brave men, they all of a sudden, they just they, they stop shooting their weapon. And they try to simulate battlefield experiences. Drills my father told me about where they would be uh, you know, cr- army crawling with machine gun fire over their head. And, and they're trying to simulate what it's like to be in a firefight so that when they get into the firefight, they don't panic. But one of the statistics I heard was that one of the, the great challenges... Uh, of warfare is the soldiers being in position they have a a sweep where they're supposed to be shooting and and one of the challenges was to get a certain percentage of the sh- soldiers to actually fire their weapon and and if i i remember correctly the figure was something like 75 percent if they could get 75 percent of the soldiers to actually fire their weapon. They're happy. I can't even fathom that. Fire your weapon. This is what you you want to tell people in your church. The devil's attacking me. Fire your weapon. Finger on the trigger. Pull. Fire. Let's get a cross pattern going here. The church is under attack. You know what you really ought to do? You ought to get up in the morning, come to prayer meeting, and fire your weapon. You ought to come a little bit early to church and fire your weapon. Hello. My goodness, if we could get 75% of the people in our church to fire their weapon. Because we are at war. And we have superior firepower ephesians says put on the whole armor of god but then it says you have to fight you have to take the sword and enter into the fray put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities powers rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places and then it says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit watching thereunto that's a military term you shall receive power after the holy ghost has come upon you you shall be witnesses unto me I remember when we were pioneering in upstate New York. And I remember the word picture establishing a beachhead in your city. Have you ever heard that? You know, that's borrowed from World War II. You know, the taking of these islands, Iwo Jima, and how difficult it was to establish a beachhead just to get on the real estate, establish a perimeter. 
And when I got to, to New York, the battle was furious, man. And I, you know, like I said, I had to establish a beachhead in my living room. We, we rented this apartment, and upstairs were some rock and roll demons. And I'm telling you, these guys, two in the morning, they would come clunking up the stairs Friday and Saturday night for the whole weekend, turn on their stereo, and all the demonic uncleanness that goes along with this. And I'm telling you, man, I, I was losing it. I walked into their party one time at four in the morning with my sweatsuit on. I, tr- I tried witnessing to him first. I tried being nice. That didn't work. And so at four in the morning, I was ticked. And I walked into their party, you and you, out in the hall. I said, this guy, have you ever seen how big my stereo is? My stereo is so much bigger than yours, man. And you got to sleep sometime, pal. And I'm losing it. I'm losing my mind. I tried calling the landlord. And then all of a sudden, one time when I was in the basement, it dawned on me their fuses are on my side of the basement. We shared a common basement, and there was a big oak door that I bought a lock for. And I waited. Saturday night, came around. I was only half asleep because I was anticipating this. In they come, stomp up the stairs. I just calmly got up, opened the closet door in our bedroom where the stairs were, went down halfway. There's the fuse box. I opened it up, and I just start unscrewing fuses. Screwing them back in. All of a sudden, there it is. I closed it. I went back up. I started getting dressed. My wife says, what are you doing? I said, call the police. Because in five seconds, these guys are going to come pouring out of that apartment, and I'm going to go out and fight them. She said, no. I said, yes. Oh, yes. I am completely backslidden. I don't care. If I have to go home to Prescott and be a Bible study leader, I don't care. I, right now, I don't care. This is over. This is, this is over right now. And to my utter astonishment, these wimps did not come down. I could hear him cussing up there. And so, just to mess with their heads, because, you know, nothing's happening here, man. I'm ready. I went down and I started screwing the fuses in and pulling them out, you know? (laughs) And I screwed it in, and the stereo came on, and the cops pulled up. It was great timing, man. I hear, I'm listening outside my window. Uh, Yeah, we had a complaint about your stereo. That pulled my fuses. I'm just, and the cop's going, you know, have you ever considered that you're such a blink, blink, you deserve to have your blank fuses pulled. 
If I get one more call from anybody around here, I'm taking your blank to jail. I'm going, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm over the line, man. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I'm totally like, you know, my vision's closing in. I'm so mad. But guess what? That didn't solve the problem. And all of a sudden, it, it dawned on me one day. This is not a character-reforming trial from God. This is the devil. And I remember it was in the afternoon. I came to terms with this. I said to my wife, you know what? This is the devil. And I resent this. I said, you know what we're going to do? We are going to pray right now. Me and you, we're going to kneel down right here in our bedroom, and we are going to command that foul demon to never, ever again express itself in this building, ever again, my, my veins are pointing on. She's going, okay. <laughs> I told her what we're going to say. This is what we're going to say. And we knelt down in our bedroom, and I said, I take authority over this structure. I claim this right now in the name of Jesus. I bind you, you foul demon. You will never express yourself in this property ever again. I cast you out. And we just had a little 15-minute prayer meeting. Within a day of that, I got a call from my landlord. Hey, you know how you, those guys you've been complaining about? Well, I just kicked them out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they were gone, man. I'm talking about like the chaff before the wind. By the Spirit of God, I learned a valuable lesson. You don't have to backslide to get dominion. You just need to fire your gun. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Are you listening to me? Now, those of you that are pioneering, you understand what I'm talking about. That your job is to establish a parameter, a green zone. And you're going to have to start right where you land, right where you are, many times in your neighborhood. And you're going to have to begin to push the devil back. And the idea is, as you do that and you gain converts and they push with you, you can establish a dominion and change the spiritual climate in your city. In the Old Testament, Amalek attacked the people of God as they were coming out of slavery. And guess what? They didn't attack the ones in the center. The Bible says they attacked the hindmost. That means the stragglers, the uncommitted, the ones on the periphery, the fringers. And if you're going to get dominion, you're going to have to teach your people the safest place to serve God is right in the middle of the will of God. In the hottest part of the battle, sword drawn, attacking the devil, those are the people the devil will leave alone. The only promise we have in the Bible is that if you fight the devil, he'll leave you alone. If you res it's the opposite of what you hear these preachers say. If you want the devil to leave you alone, just stop trying to reach the world. That is false doctrine. Because it's the stragglers that are easy pickings. It's the lukewarm that are easy pickings. It's the fringers that the devil's always harassing. The safest place to serve God 
is in the heat of the battle. I remember in the early years of the haunted house strategy in our fellowship, Prescott did a haunted house and there was a scathing article in the newspaper against the church in Prescott. And I'll never forget Pastor Mitchell's response. I was so moved by this. They had it scheduled for like three days and they come out with this hit piece after the last day. And rather than back up, he says, let's do it again next weekend. Put an ad in the paper and wrote, back by popular demand. I said, yes. That's the spirit of our pastor. That has been the spirit of our fellowship. Pastor Olson talked about the first church that was planted in our fellowship, Harold Warner. He comes back with his back broken. People were saying, you know, oh, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do this. But I remember a, 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 a turning point watershed Wednesday night service is in response. This man's in the hospital. What would you do? Think about that. What would you do? Pastor Mitchell said, you know what? Harold Warner's in the hospital. He may never walk again. But I'm not giving up. And for every one the devil kills, I'll send ten more. And I want to know who'll take his place. And that service, couples began to come to the altar. And the momentum of our fellowship turned on that decision. It says, devil, are you, if you're going to mess with me, it's going to be worse than it would have been. That is the only way you're going to establish the dominion of heaven in your life. I read a letter from a soldier in Iraq. This man had been to our church and had been deployed to Iraq. And he was on his way home. And he was recounting his experience in war. And he was talking about how it had changed him. And he ended the letter with a quote. I never forgot this. He was talking about there's many who oppose the war, misunderstand the issues. But he ended his letter with these words. People sleep peaceably in their beds at night because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. That's what the Word of God tells us is our only response to the devil. If you want people in your church to have dominion, to have peace, if you ever expect to experience the dominion of heaven, which is what we're called to do to establish the kingdom of God in our locale, you're going to have to learn that dominion and peace comes through conflict. Now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, makes manifest the savor of His knowledge by